0: Welcome to the RealSelf University podcast. I'm Eva Shea, your host and director of practice development at RealSelf. Telehealth, the virtual consultations, and virtual appointments have gone from rarely used to daily use, And one thing everyone seems to agree on is that virtual appointments are here to stay. On today's episode, I talk with three plastic surgeons who've been doing virtual consults for years and bring their experiences to you. Whether you're already a pro and looking for ways to take it to the next level or just getting started, each one of the three doctors I spoke to will have useful, actionable advice for you. My first guest is New York City plastic surgeon, Dr. Richard Reich. We're really glad to have you sharing your insights and wisdom on this with us today. Start by telling us, for a patient, what is the process like, sort of from beginning to end? from requesting a virtual consult to actually getting on the phone with you? What are the steps that happen from that point to the other?
1: So, yeah, so I do this very differently than most of my colleagues, to be honest with you. Right now, after, you know, everything, elective surgery has been shut down and we're really so dependent on these virtual consultations and follow-ups right now, I want my schedule as packed as possible. And for the past two and a half weeks, six days a week, I've literally been doing virtual consultations from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., six days a week. And I take Sundays off just to keep my sanity and to catch up on some pictures, organizations, and notes, and things of that nature. And, you know, it's interesting. I have a lot of uh, friends and colleagues who are telling me, though, they can't get the virtuals going quite as easily and whatnot. I think a big reason for that is I am very hands-on. In the organization of my day. So I don't leave it up to my secretary or my office or someone else to sort of make this happen. In my view, I have great staff, but in my view, especially in these times where it's we're sort of in crisis mode, no one's going to do as, as good of a job or work as hard as I am to get this done. So literally I have every single day mapped out for myself where I am constantly on these virtual consultations. In between consultations, I'm updating my Instagram. I'm responding to other patients. I'm responding to real self-inquiries in between every consultation. And then I keep a giant Excel spreadsheet that right now has over 450 patients on it, patients who I'm in touch with, who I'm scheduling follow-ups or more likely consultations with. And I'm constantly updating that list. And so every single day, I'm sort of starting off this this whole schedule where I'm literally sitting there and penciling in appointments on my own, and it's just able to pack my schedule as much as possible, which is great. And when I first started doing this, you know, two and a half weeks ago, I said, okay, great, the first three days are totally packed, but the fourth day is empty, like things are going to really die down on the fourth day, and then it just seems like every single day, I'm I'm filling up day after day after day after day and I'm I'm getting days ahead of myself now and just filling everything up. But it's, I think, one major difference in what I'm doing is, like I said, just doing it all myself and really immediately when patients email me or they DM me on Instagram, I'm immediately responding back to them myself from my own cell phone and getting their number and just immediately rolling with it.
0: And are you putting them in some sort of schedule software or are you just using Excel for that?
1: So I'm actually using paper and a pen myself, believe it or not. Uh, no school, excuses over oh, here. Oh, so so I'm completely old school right now using a paper and pen to schedule them myself. However, after I perform the consultation, then I email it to my surgery coordinators and they contact the patient and do their formal, you know, normal interview and stuff. And then they, they put it in my next tech schedule. So so it does and then we have formal electronic medical we're filling out and stuff.
0: Have they taken Uh, anyone off the calendar that you've put on the calendar, like for pre-qualification reasons? No,
1: I'm actually doing a lot of that myself, to be honest. So I won't actually email my staff to put someone on the formal schedule until I'm done speaking with them. So normally, like we can look at our surgery schedules or or patient follow-up schedules or consult schedules on Nextech. And Every day, my schedule's completely empty. By the end of the day, it's completely filled up because I, like for Saturday, for tomorrow, I have my schedule completely full right now on my little paper and pencil schedule. And then my office staff won't know about that schedule until the following day. Wow, It's weird, but it works.
0: It it sounds like it's working really well.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: You're the first person I've heard doing it in the order you're doing it, where the doctor's the first line and then the staff come after you. Which makes yeah. a lot of sense.
1: It's the reason I want it that way is because if someone's going to email me back or text me back at 10 p.m., I want to set them up for the next consultation available. I want to set them up for that you know, 7 a.m. slot the next morning where I want to, no one else is going to be working on a Saturday or Sunday. I'm, I'm certainly going to be, if, I, if my schedule isn't completely full for next week, Sunday, I'm going to be texting patients. And I'm, I'm going to be working on everything, You know, pretty much 24 hours a day to get it all set up. And so I think it's the best way to do it, in my opinion.
0: And then are you pre-qualifying them somehow? Are you asking the same questions of every person as they uh, start to interact with you?
1: Yeah. So pretty much one, I think, thing that's very important that other physicians should learn from is I have no hesitation with price transparency whatsoever. So when a patient texts me, Or when I'm talking to someone on Instagram or Real Self, and they say, "Well, how much does a rhinoplasty cost?" I straight up give them the whole price. That's it. Not a range. Not saying, "Well, it's approximately you know this price to way up here," or or, "Oh, it depends on your individual anatomy. I'll have to see you." No, I just straight up give them a price. That's it. If they are okay with it, we do the consult. If they're not, great. It didn't you know that they can move on. I can move on. It didn't waste either one of our times
0: that enables you to go really fast and people weed themselves out and you just keep moving.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I'm, I go so far as, you know, I advertise, I list my prices on RealSelf for three procedures. And on Instagram, when I uh, do these little stories I'm doing on Instagram that has asked me a question, For some of the stories, well, first of all, it says, you know, if you're interested in a complimentary virtual consultation, please leave your name and phone number. Then I can respond to them immediately with that. But I also say, ask me a question about plastic surgery. And a lot of patients will say, what is the price for this procedure? And I have no hesitation whatsoever to publicly respond back on my stories to say the price is X because it just weeds out the patients that are not going to be in that price range. And it's really a more efficient usage of your time, which is what we all need right now.
0: You won't get any arguing from me. I know when people know the price ahead of time, they're twice as likely to schedule surgery. Exactly. So you might as well set them up for success to be able to say yeah. yes. Yeah.
1: Exactly.
0: How much time are you blocking for each each one of these virtual appointments?
1: so for virtual follow-ups, 15 minutes. For consults, I'll block out a half an hour. Usually it doesn't take a half an hour. Usually it takes me about, oh, 15 to 20 minutes or so. But then after I get off the phone with someone, I want to email my office staff. I want to email my PA who writes the note. I want to also then respond back to different inquiries that have been, that have been coming in over that last 20 minutes, respond to people on Instagram. It is, shockingly, it is incredibly busy. Like. I've been shocked that literally from seven a.m. to seven p.m. I am just go 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 go. I have to take a a little two minute break to pour another glass of water because you're talking so much. You don't want to get dehydrated too.
0: And is this where you're usually doing them? Where you're sitting right now?
1: This is exactly where where I'm doing them. For it looks forever.
0: like you're in a hospital, but where I, are you actually?
1: <laughs> I'm here. I'm in my uh, I'm in my house, <laughs> and uh, I have a white wall set up over there, and it's just yeah, it's, oh, it's just a nice. Yeah it's a nice setup to do all this because like i mentioned before i wear scrubs every day for these consults you want to dress professionally so patients know that you're you know treating them in a professional manner also you know it just it feels good to be finally be, be wearing some scrubs and and it makes you sort of have some sanity during this whole process as well
0: it's like the don't wear your pajamas when you work from home but doctor version.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Now now a lot of a lot of other surgeons have asked me about this. And I like I always say, you know, dress professionally. Scrubs are the are the most appropriate thing right now, in my opinion. I think it would be weird to be in a suit and tie uh, right now. And so I think patients are very comfortable with, with me being in scrubs. And because sometimes I'll put my camera down and I'll stand up and I'll take a few steps back from the camera to sort of demonstrate where different incisions go and things of that nature. And so it's definitely just so much more professional to be in scrubs than just regular clothes.
0: Let's talk about patients and taking their clothing off. I know one of the surprises in our data this week was that 60% of people said they'd be willing and perfectly happy to do a virtual consultation, but 40% said they wouldn't. So I've been trying to figure out what makes people unwilling. And I think one of them is they're afraid that they're going to have to take their clothes off. Mm -hmm. I don't have any proof of that yet, but I'm getting it. And I'm curious how you're handling that particular aspect of this.
1: Absolutely. So I've been doing virtual consultations for years and years now. So it's something I'm, I'm very comfortable doing. And I think one of the most important things when you're on the consultation, number one, is to establish a good rapport with the patient. Try to make them feel as comfortable as possible. I make some small talk with them and, and ask them where they're from. And and because we, we I have patients coming from all over the world for these. And so establish a good rapport with the patient. It just so happens my practice is a little skewed because I do like probably, I don't know, probably 80% of the consults I'm getting right now are, are for rhinoplasty. So that's simple. So I'm easily able to do those. For tummy tucks and things of that nature, yeah, I have the patients, um, that they, they can sort of keep their breasts covered and show me the abdomen. That, that That works out pretty well usually. For breast reduction patients, I actually don't ask them to undress. What I do instead is I show them some photographs of, of what I need to get the insurance approval. And I'll ask them to stand in front of a solid color background and have a family member or, or their spouse take, take their pictures and send me those pictures. So we try to keep it as comfortable as possible. I've actually been doing, ironically too, a lot of labiaplasty consults recently and for those, absolutely, I just I just tell them, you know, we'll examine you in person. It's just it, that's just uh, not not worth, you know, having the patient feel so uncomfortable for that. But otherwise, it's been yeah, it's been working out very well in terms of all of the examinations.
0: So when you start wrapping it up with the patient, what do you tell them, and what happens at the end? What what do yeah. they?
1: Yeah. So I'll sort of tell you how I normally do it. So once we get through the whole consultation, a plan, I tell them that the next step, at least for today, is that one of my surgery coordinators is going to call you next. They're going to go over uh, scheduling and pricing and uh, they'll be calling from a block number. So expect that. I've learned these little techniques uh, because if you don't tell them that, then the block number calls and then guess what? You've just wasted your staff's time because then the staff won't be able to get in touch with the patient. So I always let them know that. I always tell them what to expect when my coordinator calls. And then the most important thing for me, at least, I give every patient my cell phone number who I operate on anyway. And I love to keep in touch with patients. And I let the virtual consults know that too. I tell them the number I'm calling you from is my personal cell phone number, save it in your phone. If you have any questions, feel free to text me or call me anytime you want. And I think that just direct communication, patients really appreciate it. it makes them feel comfortable.
0: Do you have two phones? Do you have a bat phone nope. and a work phone? No?
1: No, nope, I all just the have one phone. phone. Yeah, all the same. Yeah. But have you ever had to block I, anyone? I've never had anyone use my phone in a disrespectful or inappropriate manner, ever. And I can tell you that. And this is having done this thousands and thousands of times. It has only been beneficial. And that every time it's the weekend or the middle of the night and I get a phone call, I'm happy I got that phone call from a patient post-op.
0: I think some of your processes are like a lesson in competitive advantage. And you've just figured out not just one, but many competitive advantages in the way that you do things. And I learn a lot just from listening to you. So you might, I, always yeah, really I enjoy mean- that. Well, thank and it's you. it's your willingness to do things a different way and a lot of things that other people don't want to do themselves. So
1: it was crazy when I first started in practice and, and people heard I, you know other physicians heard I was giving out my cell phone. People told me never do that. That's insane. You're gonna regret it. Just never, ever, ever do that. And I can't tell you that. I mean just hundreds and hundreds of patients have told me that over the years that that's one of the reasons that they felt comfortable booking surgery. You know and it just it helps people so much, and it's so little for us to do. It does, it's It's such a small thing to text someone on a Saturday morning and say, "How are you feeling?" You know and it lets patients know that you care and also opens and opens a window of opportunity for patients to tell you things that they might not have told you otherwise. And so I think it, I think it's a really valuable tool to have.
0: I agree. So when do you think you'll be back in the office? Do you have any predictions?
1: tough tough question to answer you know i would love to be back may first i just don't know at this point you know i mean i think june first maybe i mean I, I, we'll take anything but i can tell you a couple things is that when we do open up we're going to open up saturday and sundays as well and i think that is one great advantage to doing all these virtual consultations and virtual follow-ups now when we open I probably won't even have office hours at all. I'm probably just going to operate nonstop for about a month and just operate, 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 and not stop operating at all. And that way, will be okay because I'll have already done all these virtual consultations. We have all these patients waiting, but we really need to sort of get our business back up and running, get our revenue stream going, and also sort of honor the commitments that we have to all these patients who have booked their surgeries and all their surgeries have been delayed as well. So I'm going to make every effort possible to extend normal weekday hours operating, cancel all my office hours and only operate, and then really operate on the weekends too.
0: Did you just delay all the people who were on the schedule and then promise yeah. them they'd be the first ones in when, when you come yeah. to school?
1: Yeah, so we had to cancel a lot of surgeries, as you can imagine, and uh, right now, we, we've rescheduled patients. We have a giant wait list as well. And I'm just sort of telling patients, you know, patients have been amazing, though. That's one thing I've, I've seen during this whole process. Everyone's going through this together. You know, they, they know we're trying our best here, and they've been amazingly understanding. I can tell you, I don't think I've had a single patient cancel their surgery after all this, which has been amazing. Uh, we've had patients delay their surgeries, obviously, and we've had to delay patients too. But it's just been sort of this communal sort of process that everyone's going through together. And, and I think people get it that we're really in this, um, but things will get better and we will operate again and we will do their surgeries. And I think it's, it's been a nice process to sort of be able to connect with patients on throughout this whole time on this.
0: I'm glad to hear that they all stuck with you. That's a nice, bright spot. Thank yes. you for sharing all of your wisdom with us, as always. I have so much to learn, and, and we're just grateful that you have the time to talk to us, too.
1: Well, it's my sincere pleasure.
0: If Dr. Reich's hands-on style isn't quite right for you, that's okay. There are many ways to go about this process. Next up, we'll hear from Dr. Garav Baharti, a board-certified plastic surgeon in Charlotte, North Carolina. I have about eight or 10 questions. Really want to get to the bottom of what the patient goes through and how you think about the process. And so this is really for other providers to understand how you're doing this and what you've learned so far since you've been doing it. And we might even get into some of the things you should avoid. Sure. So... Tell us first for a patient, what is the process of requesting a virtual consult and what do they go through between when they request one and when they actually get on the phone with you?
2: Yeah. So the the process of a patient actually requesting a virtual consult, you know, traditionally was just somebody, just your normal inbound traffic of patients, which was classically phone call or getting on your website and then submitting an inquiry. And, um, now it's changed quite a bit. I think that there are multiple ways. One is they do the traditional method in calling your office. The next one is that they are going through your website, social media platforms. So it could be they could be coming from Instagram, they could be coming from Facebook, or they could be coming from some other random email because one of your patients has your email and then another patient has shared that with them. So I think what people have to understand is that you can come from anywhere. You need to basically have all those potential inroads to your practice wide open. I think the the biggest bang for your buck or your time would obviously be through your online ecosystem, whatever that is, but you need to have a strong online ecosystem and you know, I would say for me, uh, majority of them have been through social media. You know, we were talking earlier that I feel like that overall phone traffic has kind of come down some but people are spending copious amounts of time on their devices now and if you look at your screen time I don't know about you but I get my update it has doubled since what I normally was doing and I think that's across the board and so um they're they're from everywhere but predominantly from your active platforms where you can be engaged i.e. the social media platforms
0: I turned the update off the screen time one but I can tell by how my hand hurts in the morning yep. I've and found too much,
2: and then RealSelf also is is a as a resource because the thing about what RealSelf is offering to these patients is that they're getting information about the procedures, seeing your reviews, and then they're able to do some diligence on there also, and then seeing what the worth it ratings are. So that that's another resource, and now RealSelf is actually helping drive patients to pursue a virtual consult because that's actually something mm-hmm. that's on our profile if you offer them and something that is, you know, helping funnel those patients into that. Because some patients, there's still this kind of concept like, all right, so we got this quarantine. We can't really, I guess I can't find out. Well, the truth is you can. You can begin the dialogue and the discussion. And it's something that we're very focused on in our practice.
0: We had data last week that said about 60% were willing and interested in doing a virtual consultation. But I'm curious what you think the other 40% are feeling if they're not willing to. And have you heard any objections from patients around why they may not want to do that?
2: Yeah, I think it's uh, a lot of people do like the traditional idea. I want to come in and, and see you and talk to you. But I think the reason why it has that perception is that they're not aware of how comprehensive of a visit you can have virtually. This crisis that's going on is going to change healthcare forever and it's going to change modern day aesthetics and beauty because a lot more things are going to be done this way and patients are going to get more and more comfortable with it and there's so much convenience associated with it so i think that even those individuals who have the hesitation i think that it is a temporary thing we had a lot of people who are on the books for this month and next month that were already scheduled that we had to call and a lot of them we did lose they wanted to reschedule for later we tried to explain them what a virtual console was and how we could do that but a lot of them weren't ready for that. But I think then as we go forward, more and more people will get more and more used to the idea. But it is, it's it's pretty remarkable. You know, I and some of the other colleagues that I know very well have pretty busy practices off of virtual interactions with patients. And you know, it's 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 virtual, but you are still connecting with them, you're still talking to them, you are still overall evaluating them using still shots and video imaging. And then you still do see them and evaluate them and formulate and solidify your plans when you do actually interact with the patient. But it really is a way to begin the discussion. And then you can easily re-engage the patient in the future and continue the the dialogue. Or you have a discussion. Then you'd have a preoperative planning if you're doing an operation visit where you can do that all virtually, and then you literally can do just the surgical procedure. And then everything else, all the follow-ups can be done remote or off-site as long as there's not active things that need to be done. And patients are very happy with that.
0: Go back for a moment. When someone reaches out to you through social media or through your website, are you the one that contacts them first or is someone on your staff still reaching out and and acting as a go-between before they reach your schedule?
2: It's a hybrid. There's one key with all this, and that key has got to be easy. The minute it gets complicated, the minute you potentially will lose that lead. And so you got to try to make it as uncomplicated as possible. Ideally, if you see it, you act on it, would be my mantra. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's impossible, and it just depends how big your practice is, how much your staffing you have, how responsive your staff is. But I think if, the, if a lead sits there and it's something that's brought to you in this day and age, and you don't act on it within, I don't know, a couple hours, I think you could potentially lose that lead. So it needs to be acted on fast. It doesn't really matter who it is. If it can be the provider, then great. Why not? I mean, most providers have the time now. But you need to do it in the appropriate fashion. You still need to collect their information. It needs to go into your EMR the appropriate way. You still need to still respect the rules of HIPAA. Obviously, there everything's relaxed right now. But you know, if you're going to examine someone and they're going to, be nude in any way or show any body parts that are sensitive you need to facilitate some sort of chaperone whoever and whatever that might be on one end or on both ends if possible but there are lots of things that you can do to to make it work
0: so for those body patients are you having them send photos ahead of time or are you asking them what their comfort level is how are you handling that particular situation
2: You know, we typically will ask them just to send photos before if they're comfortable. If they're not, we'll just talk about everything and we will limit what we do. Even if we come up with a formal operative plan, nothing is set in stone um, and can be modified and changed later. I always talk to and see my patients again, at least one more time before any kind of big intervention anyway. But most of the time people are comfortable with that. And when they send it, they send it to my secure email and you just have to make sure that you're whatever transfer method you're using is secure. I strongly urge caution with using it, anything that's not like texting and things of that nature. Sometimes they'll send you something directly through social media and you just kind of have to let them know that, you know, this is not secure and that you don't initiate that. And there's a lot of things. I don't claim to be an expert in HIPAA, but I try to do everything by the book as much as possible to try to limit my risk. You
0: know, intent or good faith is a huge part of HIPAA. If you're not trying to make a mistake, you're not going to get in trouble. I'm not a lawyer, obviously, but...
2: Yeah. And right now, everybody's kind of protected, but still, I would just pretend like HIPAA's right there, it's active, and do everything you can to be by the book. And I think we're going to, with this new change, every EMR is going to have some sort of direct interface and some sort of telehealth module. And and it, I think it's going to be easier because everybody's going to want it. And so it's coming and I think it'll be easier as time goes by or people will be shifting EMRs into one that's more blanketed and, and has better coverage of this so that we don't have to worry about this. So right now I'll handle it. I was getting back to your original question. My nurses will handle it. Ideally, i like to have the nurse involved because I want my patients to understand that there's a team in place that's going to take care of them. There's a nurse there's me, there's my coordinator, and we can kind of, you know, work together and still give them the same experience that they would almost be when they were in my office. So I sort of try to emulate that. Obviously, if there's more pieces or if people are trying to conserve their overhead, then, you know, in, in theory, a provider could do all of it. You know, I have some friends that are extraordinarily successful in major cities and they just do it. And then they'll, they'll write up a summary, they'll email it out to their staff, and then they'll input it into the EMR or they'll do it all themselves. So the key is, I think, figuring out what's going to work for you, what's going to work in this situation, and just to make sure that you're doing something to be engaged and in contact with your patients. If you lose that engagement, if you lose the connection, then when things start opening up again, you're going to have some dust around. You're going to have to clean up and, and it'll be a little bit slow to get things going. And that may be the case anyway. So it's one of those things where you got to, I think we just have to maintain that even though you're not open you're not closed per se. You're still right. working. You're still trying to help patients achieve their personal best. You're, you're still uh, trying to help be their aesthetic wellness provider. You're trying to do whatever you can to help them. And, and, and even if they don't purchase, even if they don't agree, even if they don't re- do anything acutely, they will. It just may be a while. And that's still valuable.
0: How much time do you spend with the patient when you're on the on the phone doing this virtual consultation or on a video call?
2: It depends. It's the same thing as a real consult. Some patients are fast, some patients take a long time. You can't be in a hurry, and some patients don't have the bandwidth and don't want it to go too long either. So, simple things, ask them how much time do you have and then adjust from there. Other things, don't schedule, you know, 20 in an hour. But each patient you should you should give them the time they need. And that's a simple concept. You know, nobody wants to be hurried. Everybody wants to be heard. And if someone's talking a lot, just let them talk and they'll stop usually within two to four minutes max. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you charge a fee for your virtual consultations? No, Have I you do not. charged a fee for consultations in general before, before the virus?
2: Yeah, for, in, for our in-person consultations we did. And it was a more of a screening tool. And uh, I don't know what we're going to do in the future. I don't think there's anything wrong with charging a fee, even now charge a fee if you want to. But right now we're not. I think the reason why is even individuals who normally wouldn't care to pay a fee are still a little skittish. And so right now it's more out of respect for everyone and everything. You know, all of us as practices are doing whatever we can to keep costs down and conserve. And so I think everybody's doing that. And so I think it's the right thing to do right now.
0: I think we'll all know when it's time to put yeah. a fee back on. Definitely. Sure. Yeah. So, Once you finish up that virtual consultation, what happens afterward? How do you close it out with the patient? And then what's the next step for them?
2: The next step is my coordinator reaches out to them, either with a direct phone call or email, with logistics. And we always ask, you know, what's their timetable? When are they thinking? And then we adjourn it and then wait. And then we always follow up with patients after a period of time just to check back in on them. But most of the time, a lot of patients have a timetable in their mind. And so just I I formally ask them that so that I can prep the rest of my team so they're aware of it.
0: Where does the price quote fit in to the process for that patient? Is that when the coordinator follows up? Does she do that?
2: Yeah, and I think that depends on the practice. There's plenty of guys that I know or gals that I know that tell their price. I personally like to formulate the plan that I think is the absolute best for the patient and and have price uh, discussed by another provider just so that there's separation of church and state. And so my coordinator will review prices with the patient. One of the reasons I do that is because every once in a while I'll screw that up. And it's just terrible when I screw that up and um, causes problems for everybody. So I'd rather people stay in the lane and do what they're experts
0: in. We only like it when you screw up if it's in our favor.
2: Right, right. And if it is, it is. So be it. All good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so have you had anything crazy happen on on your online consultations yet? You got any more stories? No, not really
2: to be honest with you. I um it's good. It's helped me. It's helped me cope a little bit cuz I like to take care of patients. I like to see them. I like to do stuff with them and um it's it's really been therapeutic for me to be able to still work and take care of and see people and let them know what their options are. So it's it's hard when it's if i'm not doing that so but in general i think that it's been it's been pretty good the good things i've been doing we've been doing virtual consults for a while so i think that we're, we're kind of accustomed to it i don't think we do it the best but i think we're trying to improve it and work on it and staff is getting more used to it especially when you have multiple staff members that are in different locations now and we're trying to work remotely we're trying to respect the social distancing concept and we could, we could be doing this in our office, but we just don't think it's the right thing to do. So my nurse who will call will be in a separate location. And then my other um, coordinator will be somewhere else, but it's actually been, it's been fine. And I think everybody is understanding. So we're very transparent and clear about things. And I think it's so far, it's a nice compromise. I think nothing replaces seeing someone face to face, making real eye contact. But times are changing. And so this digital age, then this crisis that's pushed us into this new acute era is going to impact how we do things and behave. And um, I think we all have to be ready for it and adapt and embrace it.
0: Totally agree. My last guest is Dr. Bill Cortesis, who's also a board-certified plastic surgeon and is in practice with Dr. Baharti. Although they work together, they have different styles and different processes. Regardless of how you decide to approach your own online patient experiences, the big takeaway should be that what matters most is making the patient feel comfortable. For a patient, what's the process from beginning to end and starting with how do they request a virtual consultation with you? What does that look like?
3: Yeah, I think the biggest thing right now is making sure patients understand what a virtual appointment is and making sure they understand what truly telehealth is right now, and for us, you know, that's that's the first part. Is we really wanted to put it on our website so individuals knew exactly what that looked like, and we started offering it. We did it a while back, and it sort of transitioned from what it was until what it is today. What it was was people just sending in photos, and we would chat with them on the phone. That worked pretty well, but in all honesty, nothing takes the place of a face-to-face consult or face-to-face meeting. And the good news with computers, just like we're doing right now, the ability for us to be able to see each other, see each other's facial expressions is pretty amazing. So for us, it was all about letting them know that they'll still be able to see us. And it is pretty easy. The transition's easy. It is pretty straightforward methodology for us to be able to do this kind of follow-up or consultation Seamlessly. And, you know, we give them a couple options. One of those options is you can still send in your photos and we're happy to kind of look at them and we'll give them some standard photos and some guidelines to be able to follow. And then me getting on the phone or a Zoom call and seeing them face to face. Or we could do it with a chaperone or they have their own family member or significant other with them that we could do a a full exam and consultation right then and there without having photos ahead of time.
0: So when they request an appointment with you or a virtual consult with you, does someone other than you reach back out to them to schedule that first?
3: Yeah. So when somebody either via email inquiry, website inquiry, or a phone call, we give them the option of, would you like to come in to see us? And currently right now we're not doing that. Or would you like this as a virtual appointment? And we give them both options and let them know what a virtual appointment would look like and then they schedule it. And then we confirm that appointment. Somebody does call them ahead of time just to get some preoperative information from them and some pre-consultation information, just like you would, you know, prior to coming into an office. And then we would subsequently go from there just to kind of warn them of how the process will all unfold.
0: Yeah. Let them know what to expect. And so once they actually get on a call with you, how long does that take?
3: It's pretty amazing. It's just like any other consult. It could take as short as three minutes, five minutes, or as long as 30 minutes. And for us, in our practice, we give them as much time as necessary. If they need to spend a lot of time with us and they want to go over a million different things, or they just want to get to know us or talk through our philosophies, we're happy to give them that time.
0: Do you find that they just maybe want the price? And is that handled ahead of the actual call with you?
3: You know, we really don't talk pricing with patients very much. And for me, I I think, you know, I do believe in transparency. And so when somebody does call into the office, we're very upfront with them in regards to what a typical price would look like for certain procedures. But for me, I really want to focus on the patient, their outcomes, what they're looking for, not necessarily talk the, the business side of what we do.
0: So if they ask you, you just let them know that someone else will give them that information? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And
3: as soon as we're done with the phone call, just like it would be done in an office, they go see your patient care coordinator who goes over dates and pricing with them. As soon as I'm done, I call my patient care coordinator, this all virtual, and I let them know i talked to Mrs. X, and she wants to have this procedure done. I told her it was going to take this much time. They will subsequently email them immediately a price quote for the procedure. And I let them know ahead of time, hey, I'm going to reach out to our patient care coordinator and I tell them who it is. I preempt, give them some characteristics of that patient care coordinator. So they will email you a quote and then we'll subsequently follow up with you in the next few minutes after you receive the quote to go over it verbally with you.
0: Mm Hmm. And so, when you're having this call, are you doing this from wherever you are? Like where you are right now?
3: Honestly, it's kind of wherever I am. I've I've done it before on walks. If somebody if I've already already seen their pictures, and I'm just chatting with a patient, I can do it when I when I'm walking, or I just find try to find a quiet place in the house. It's kind of difficult with young kids to find a place that's pretty quiet.
0: It is, and it doesn't bother anybody if you're on a walk or like riding your bike
3: <laughs> definitely not riding my bike but um no it, it depends on if we're you know face to face or if it's facetime or, or zoom but I, again i do really believe in privacy so if it is a face-to-face facetime i will do it in the privacy of my own little space <laughs> If I'm just talking to somebody I, I i will do that on a walk without video Without video, correct?
0: Yeah, got it. it. You don't want them watching you walk down the street. Okay, how do you handle the question of do I have to take my clothes off on a camera? And what do you do to make people feel comfortable with that scenario? I think that's a big worry for a lot of patients.
3: It is. So we really want to make this as much of a real appointment as it would be in-house virtually. So just like I when I first see or meet somebody in my office, I don't have them completely undress immediately. You get to really talk to the patient, you really want to know what their concerns are, what they're looking for, and then you say, "Hey, by the way, if we're going to do this exam virtually, you know, I'll step away, I'll let you get undressed or you let, let you get in a robe. I will have a chaperone with me on on the call so we can do this collectively together. I also ask them to have somebody with them." as well. We do the the exam, and then I'll let them get dressed again, and then we go back and and chat about the actual procedure. So again, we try to mimic the real-life in-person visit as much as we can virtually.
0: Did it take a little while to figure out how to navigate that piece of it?
3: Yeah, it does. I mean, there's always a learning curve when anytime you do anything new. And in all honesty, it was really a, a transition for our staff members too, because they didn't really know exactly how this was all going to unfold. But what I found amazing is they really took onto it, they learned it, and they appreciate it now. And I was talking to Dr. Bahardi about this. I really think as we move back into, when we go back online, I think we're going to end up seeing this hybrid approach. I think we're going to end up seeing a lot of patients virtually, a lot of patients in-house, and we're gonna take the best of both worlds and we're gonna end up being better. I think this is gonna strive, you know, this is gonna push forward with some innovation and we're gonna have a little bit of a mixed practice.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree. I think things are gonna get a lot more efficient. Yeah, I think we're gonna see smaller waiting rooms.
3: We're gonna probably see less retail space within our office and it's gonna mo- mainly be online. We're gonna see a lot more virtual appointments. I think patients are gonna see the same thing. They're going to say, oh, my God, you mean I don't have to sit in traffic for 30 minutes? I can do the same appointment in less time on my own time? And you're going to also see doctors have extended office hours. How great is that going to be? You know, you're a busy professional. <laughs> Four times in the evening? Absolutely. Yeah, you can just kind of do it whenever.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Have we had any, any strange things happen on any of these calls with video?
3: um strange things you know a lot of dogs barking a lot of kids running around and doing crazy things hmm. but that's about the 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 extent of my craziness with with online virtual consultations
0: so nothing yet it's coming we just it don't will
3: come for sure
0: i think those are all the questions i have
3: I did better than G, didn't I? Without a, he's he's too lengthy with his words. He well, talks I was, too much.
0: I was feeling a little of that, like you're, you were more concise.
3: Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, that's just in his nature. He just talks too much.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's too
3: much. It's just different. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I like to give him a hard
0: time. Yeah, it was great. It's remarkable that you've been able to move to this as fast as you have and that you are already doing it. Which has made a big difference, I think. Some of the data that we had recently was really startling. Like on last week's webinar, I asked had about 180 people answer, and I asked who was doing this a lot before the crisis, and it was the answer was six percent of that group, and then post crisis it was seventy three percent. So as a body, you know, from that sample. You guys all moved from not doing it to doing it in two weeks.
3: And I would love to see where that lands once we get back online. It's going to be some interesting statistics.
0: Yep, it is. It is. And so the advice I've been trying to give people who haven't done it at all is please just try. Get on Zoom. Get on free Zoom. Test it with your staff and start getting used to it so you do not get any further behind.
3: Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. Because again, patients are going to want this. Once they realize how easy it is, Yeah, it's going to be great. And honestly, I use my, my wife as a resource. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I kind of asked her, like, was like, you know, w- what would make you want to do a virtual consult? And Which how would it make you feel comfortable to do it? And so a lot of the, the things we've been doing is based on what I learned from my wife. Because again, she's the classic patient right now. And women always know better than us anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. I used to call that the granny test. I should switch and call it the wife test. Mm-hmm. So some pretty smart ladies.
3: Without a doubt.
0: Thanks for listening to the Real Self University podcast. The mission of Real Self is to create a world where every investment in modern beauty is worth it. And Real Self University is here to help aesthetic professionals do just that. The mission of our podcast is to uncover stories and data from our industry's most interesting and successful personalities. If you'd like to be a guest on the Real Self University podcast, have feedback or questions, email university at realself.com. Support us and help us keep this effort going by subscribing to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like more information about becoming Real Self Verified, go to realself.com network and enter referral code podcast to receive 50% off your first full month of Real Self Spotlights. I'm your host and producer, Eva Shea. Our post production is by Daniel Cruiser. All of our learning and practice development resources are available on demand at university.realself.com.